another episode of the Photographer Mindset Podcast, where we explore the winning mindsets, attitudes, and strategies of photographers in the Instagram community who are achieving their own versions of success. I'm your host, as always, Seth Macy, and today with me, I have wildlife and landscape photographer Alan Pullman, who also is Canadian, it needs to be said, because we stick out for each other. But Alan, thank you for coming on the show. Your work is truly incredible, and I'm not just saying that instant fan as soon as I found it. Um, so why don't you go ahead and kick us off by telling us how you got into photography? Sure. Th- thanks for having me on the show, Seth. Uh, you're pretty much a natural at this when I heard a couple of your podcasts. Uh, they're, <laughs> thanks. They're pretty amazing. Um, so how I got into photography, um, I guess I started uh, taking photos probably in my mid-20s and uh, started out with an Olympus 3.2 megapixel camera. And I was kind of dabbling in it off and on. And then I got into my 30s and uh, I started using a Canon XTI Rebel. And uh, I think it was 10.1 megapixels, that one. And I still was only mm-hmm. only off and on. I take photos here and there. And then about a few years ago, I invested in a 60D Canon and uh, started to go from there and really start trying to create content and stuff. And I was kind of using it as a, a hobby to build my myself up with so like using as mental health therapy right so it was kind of like a creative outlet you never planned on taking it super seriously to the point you're at now yeah absolutely it wasn't something i thought uh, i particularly excelled at at the time so i just used it as some as a form of enjoyment i guess that's really cool to see that you know your audience on Instagram. Not that numbers matter or mean everything. Fifty eight thousand with just like a hobby that you started as is really cool. Um, with you know no serious intent behind it at the time, would you say your intents changed now? Um, not not really to be honest. Like I would love to get into more professional photography and start making a little bit more money off of it and develop it into a career. Like that would definitely be a dream. However, I just kind of think realistically with with what I have, like my job's pretty good. And uh, I guess I just like to use photos as still just an avenue to build up my self-confidence and uh, be proactive in my lifestyle and develop a really good hobby in, in that regard. Yeah. And I mean, I think a lot of people who see these incredible photographs from incredible photographers seem to think that this is their full time gig. When, you know, the majority of the time, it's really not like you're a mental health worker, which I, which I think is really awesome. And I want to get into that. Um, but I think there's something to be said for, because uh, on this, on the show, we talk a lot about the idea of, you know, risking it and having the courage to make that leap into photography as a full-time business, which I think is awesome. But I think there's also the avenue you can go down where you have your, your, job that you love that isn't photography that provides you a steady income so that you can exercise your passion for photography on the side and you know not be stressed out about it which i think is kind of what you do right yeah absolutely i mean photography does um, create some stress sometimes when you like when you're big on social media and you're trying to maintain certain amounts of posts and stuff like that i think by having a job plus photography it can generate a lot of work So basically, I'll spend my time during the day um, doing my regular job and then coming home and editing and trying to create content and going out and getting content and stuff like that. And it can generate a little bit of stress, but I also have a steady source of income. I'm not worried about necessarily making money from photography, too. So um, I have benefits at my job. My, My job's pretty 
pretty enjoyable and relaxing in a lot of regards too. So um, it's good to have some of the benefits of a full-time employment and not having to worry sure. about the content that I create necessarily all the time on Instagram. For sure. So as a mental health worker, are there things that you take away um, that you're an expert at there that you have knowledge on in that field that you can apply to um, your photographic endeavors? For example, you mentioned like getting stressed out or I know you can feel overwhelmed when you're trying to people in general, I know I do feel overwhelmed when they're trying to juggle work relationships, you know, making sure their social media content is rolling out on time. Um, what are some things that you do to prevent yourself from being overwhelmed in those circumstances? Um, I mean, as, as I was talking to you earlier, photography is a good venue just to get out and relax too. Like when I'm, when I'm with people or clients and stuff like that, and I'm talking about, um, ways to mitigate stress. A lot of the time it involves like just getting outside and walking like it's the simplest thing but i think photography is a means to get you outdoors and get you out doing things like that for sure and i, I think the experience of taking photos and um, having a camera in your hand and being outdoors is very therapeutic but some of the other con like contentions when you're shooting is like editing and adhering to deadlines and stuff and those are the types of things that cause stress Right. And we were also talking before the show about, um, you know, it's, it's no doubt that um, levels of cases of anxiety and depression and things like that have been on the rise, especially in young people, um, at a positive correlation with the rise of social media. Um, I don't think that's a coincidence. I think that um, the constant stimulus of you know social media apps whether it be instagram facebook or just the fact that you have the internet always available to you is overstimulating and people constantly posting their highlights their highlight reel on their instagram um is is detrimental to people's mental health how do you stay clear of that and what do you recommend to people who may be falling victim to that I mean, there's there's probably no clear advice that uh, I can give to someone to deter them from developing stress off of that other than adhering um, to strict guidelines and um, making sure that you're not always on social media, right? Like that's, if, if you're going on social media and it's causing you stress and anxiety, that's kind of the trigger for your stress and anxiety. So um, you can only really remove yourself from that. But in terms of my own personal like beliefs, Everyone, well, not everyone, but I get a lot of comments on um, my photos saying, um, you live such an amazing life. Um, it looks unreal. I wish, I wish I did the same things that you do. And honestly, like, I think that's very far from the truth. Like, you're only looking at snippets of my life as well. And there's a bunch of different things that I, that I deal with. And I, I do the daily grind just like everyone else, right? Like For sure. You were mentioning about, um, you were running, when you were giving us your intro, you were telling us about all of the um, cameras you've kind of upgraded through, um, through your time in, in photography. You, you mentioned you started with an Olympus and then a bunch of different Canons and now you're shooting Nikon. Is that correct? I'm actually shooting Sony right now. So, oh, you are? You want me to run you through the, the kind yeah, of, yeah, run me up, through up your top. things. Cause you were telling me before the show that, uh, you know, you had, I forget the the monetary value you put on um, the amount of gear you have, but you were saying that uh, you feel like it hasn't even improved the image quality per se, maybe consistency, but the actual image quality hasn't gone up as you've accumulated gear. Yeah. Want to touch on that maybe? Absolutely. Yeah. So basically, as I said, I started with an Olympus 3.2 megapixel camera 
And then I had a Canon Rebel XTI, and that was kind of when I wasn't very serious about photography at all. And then I invested in a Canon 60D. And then after, soon after the 60D, I think I had an A6000 Sony. And then I decided to get a big camera and a full frame camera that was uh, quite a bit different from what I'd been using before. And I got the Nikon D750 and I had all kinds of lenses like the 15 to 35, 24 to 70, at a 150 to 600 um, Sigma, and uh, oh, I just bought that. Oh, did you? That's a that's a phenomenal lens, actually. Like it was. Yeah, really I've had a lot good. of fun with it. So I used that for many years, and that camera took phenomenal images. Like the stills quality on it was amazing. But uh, I decided some to get something that might be more beneficial in terms of wildlife. So I invested in the Sony A92, and that was probably the top of the line mirrorless right now. Um, and uh it yeah has, it's me a lot of people jealous to hear that <laughs> it has amazing i'll tell you that it has amazing amazing autofocus capabilities and i'm not knocking it at all i got this 200 to 600 millimeter lens along with it for wildlife i don't have anything fancy like a 600 or 400 prime but maybe one day but mm -hmm. uh, i also have an a7 III and uh, a bunch of other like uh, 16 to 35 gm and 12 to 24 i would Sony. love to see your gear shelf yeah, I'll have to. I'll send you a picture of that. Actually, you'll after. have to send me a picture of it because I would love to share it on my story for everybody listening after they've heard this, so they can see your set or not your setup, but your potential combination of setups. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So yeah, I invested a lot of money in all this gear, right? So uh, I expected huge, significant improvements in terms of my image quality, and that wasn't necessarily the case. I think it just improved like the A9's consistency in hitting shots, especially with wildlife has improved. So it takes me less time to actually get the shot. But when the Nikon D750 did hit the shot, it was phenomenal too. Like right. it's dynamic range was um, probably superior to that of the A9 too. So the images it did produce were probably better. It just takes a lot longer to get a good image because lots of them were misses as well than the right. A9 too. Yeah, right. No, I feel that. I just think it was interesting what you said that um, it's almost like a law of diminishing returns that I know you're not knocking any of the gear and it's all great gear. It's just interesting um, that there wasn't a substantial leap in uh, in image quality as you went up in gear. Um, obviously, things like focus points and not missing shots has helped you out a lot, but I want to make it clear that you can definitely take great shots with um standard gear wouldn't you say absolutely like the canon 60d i remember having that and there's ad advantages to all different um, cameras but the canon's colors are just unmatched in my opinion and the 60d had some phenomenal results and that was a camera that only had i think that had like 16 megapixels or something like that too and it, right and it produced pretty comparable images to anything that i have today yeah no for sure and your grid is a nice flow of, because you're not, we've talked a lot about wildlife. You're not just a wildlife guy. Like you have some stunning landscapes. Um, you were saying something interesting before we started recording about how you kind of go out looking to shoot a cool landscape and, you know, wildlife shots are just a byproduct, which I think is really interesting because based on your grid, you would just imagine that you go out and plan and you sit in a blind and, and, and do all this stuff. Um, like you should run, you should run people through um, what that awesome rabbit photo you got, and just kind of how you set out that day to be. Yeah, absolutely. Um, lots of the shots, spe specifically wildlife shots, are just sheer luck that I 
I mean, living in Northern Ontario, you definitely see more wildlife than living in um, urban Toronto or something like that. But uh, yeah, the, the rabbit photo was kind of hilarious. I went out to, to take some drone photography, actually, and shoot some islands <laughs> with one, one of my friends. And uh, I just happened to see this rabbit hopping around. And I guess he was pretty accustomed to people being around. So I, I pulled out my 200 to 600 and I started taking shots of him. And he wasn't frightened of me at all. He was hopping around in the, in the forest and letting me take all these different shots. I was rolling around on the ground on my belly and stuff, trying to get good <laughs> compositions. And I got a bunch of shots of him. That was sheer luck. And then this um, couple walked by and they're like, uh, what are you doing? And I'm like, oh, there's this rabbit um, in the forest I'm taking pictures of. And it's awesome. They're like, oh, that's that's pretty cool. Did you know about the fox den? That was about um, probably like 500 meters away from here. And I'm like, oh, no, there's a fox den. And they said, yeah, if you just go around the corner and um, go to this certain location, there's a, a mother fox and her kids there as well. So uh, the next morning, I, I went to that spot as well, and I had about an hour photo session with um, a mother who actually brought home a rabbit and was feeding her kits. And The irony, eh? Yeah, and all, they all <laughs> lived in like a rural area too. <laughs> yeah, they all lived in a rural area too, these animals, so they were pretty accustomed to people, and they, they showed absolutely no signs of fear. I mean, I kept my distance from them with the 600-millimeter lens and just started taking photos of them, and that was just sheer luck. Yeah, no, that's really cool. Would you say you prefer wildlife or landscape or do they just offer different emotions in you? I th- I think um I, I think like most of the people who follow my account prefer my wildlife shots to be honest, but uh and and I think wildlife for me is really easy to take. It's just something simple. Um compositions are easier trying to get a shot of an animal like you can go to portraits or you can try to zoom out and get the animal in their environment. And they don't necessarily have to be perfect to to be a good shot for wildlife. You could put a really good edit on it and definitely improve the quality of the shot. But um, landscapes are are quite a bit harder in my mind. Yeah, I think composition rules king in uh, in wildlife, especially more so than let's say the post processing, um, because you can get so many different stories or takes on an animal just based on the way it moves compared to you know a landscape that's not going to budge for a million years <laughs> for sure and and there's various elements in wildlife photography that you can get to that are real easy like uh, f- the, the one that i kind of adhere to the most is um making sure that when you do take a, a shot of the of, of an animal that it's kind of glaring straight at the at the lens because that's one element of wildlife photography that really elicits a lot of emotion like you're drawn into that animal's eyes when you look at the picture and that's right. kind of something that I always try to adhere to is get that animal um, in a position where it's looking at the lens and then I just snap like crazy. And with the A9 too, it's really easy because it takes 20 frames a second. So just kind of hammer down. Yeah. And then you just pick and choose for, there's always that one, right? That's in the collection. Exactly. Like I'll, I'll mull through like 300 shots sometimes and one of the shots, the animal will be kind of glaring over at the lens. Yeah, you're right. That is such a cool look, that dead on stare. Cause it, it, Every time, though, it tells a different story. Absolutely. And I mean, there's there's really phenomenal shots that um, the animal isn't directly looking at the lens, but I just find that's more my style. I try to get the animal to to glare at the lens. Yeah, no, that's cool. How long would you, well, first of all, would you say that you have a defined style and how long did it take you to really hone in and find that to a point where you're satisfied or is it still an ongoing process for you? 
I think it's always an ongoing process. Like there's images I see from people that have maybe edited something different or taken in a different manner than me that I kind of always look up to. And I'm like, oh, that's an interesting take on that. And maybe that's something I should start implementing in more of my shots. So I usually get like inspired by looking at other people's works in that regard in terms of developing a style. And I don't think there's any set style that I'll ever adhere to. I think it'll always be evolving. Yeah, I think that's really healthy too because I know with my own uh my own grid, it's my style seems to change in blocks of 9. Yeah. You know, like every 9 photos I feel like kind of like how an animal or a spider molts. I think that's the best analogy I can provide. Like I just molt into a new style and it feels so great and you're so unsure of it at first, but then it all works out in the end. It sounds really weird, but I think that's the best way I can describe it. I think photography is a process. You're kind of uh going by your emotions too like how you feel when you're editing how you feel when you shoot like it's an emotional process right so your work's not always necessarily going to be exactly consistent and uh, i think it's always going to be a process of evolution in terms of how you shoot yeah it's interesting you say how you feel because i was talking um with brooke little bear on the on the previous episode we were talking about how animals are really good at cueing in on your state like your state of emotion, if you're relaxed and calm and pleasant minded in the field, you know, animals are going to present themselves to you in a manner that is such if you're, you know, stomping through the woods, stressed out and mad, it's just not going to be your day. Absolutely. Yeah. Animals are very acute, like in terms of perceptions and picking up on people's emotions. Like you can even notice that with a dog too, right? Like if you're really chill and calm and and you show lots of patience with a dog, then they're more likely to approach you. Yeah. I mean, I've seen dogs, um, you know, where people are just kind of, you know, you, you see those people who are just, well, I'm sure you notice this as a mental health worker where you get people who you can just feel that stiffness, that tenseness on them. And, you know, even domesticated animals don't want anything to do with that person. They just know, um, which I think is really, really cool. You mentioned you were, uh, for example, when you were shooting that rabbit, you were rolling around on the <laughs> rolling around on the grass or on the ground, which I would have loved to have seen. Um, but it also uh, sparks the question or a point that I had written down about whether you think that you take photos or whether you think you make photos. Yeah, absolutely. I remember having that uh, little bit of discussion with you before the podcast on that. And uh, yeah, I definitely think I... I personally um, make photos. Um, I always have it in the back of my mind when I'm shooting, like how can I uh, post-process this photo or where can I go with this photo? What can I do to it um, as I'm shooting to make it look the best when it's a final image? So, and I think it's really important that people do have that kind of system in the back of their mind because if you're just taking shots and you don't know um, the end result of the photo, then it's likely to not uh, match your full vision, right? Like you have to take it from the very beginning all the way to the end. And if and if you're more apt at knowing your vision, then I think the it'll complement your photography in that regard. Yeah, for sure. And it's so I'm so glad to hear you say that because I've had this conversation I think once or twice on this podcast and with so many people off the record. Just um, the idea of when you're taking a picture knowing what your desired outcome is going to be in the end will, will, you know, um, provide dividends with, with the final image result. If you know what you want to do, as opposed to taking the shot and figuring it out later. And I've had people 
asked me to explain that process more. And I, I don't know how else I can really describe it. I don't know if you feel the same way. I think you sort of, it's just something you either get or you don't, um, working backwards through the shot. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I mean, it does make sense though, too. If you look at it, like you need to know what, um, exposure values you have, like, uh, right. what f-stop you have and your ISO values and stuff, because those all play an important role in the image that you're going to get as well too. So I, I think it's kind of consistent with that for sure. Right. And there's even small things, you know, that, uh, um, people forget. And I used to forget when I was, um, when I was starting out in photography, like you take an amazing, incredible photo and you didn't leave room for the crop in portrait mode on Instagram. Yeah. Um, you know, small things like that where you just consciously keep reminding yourself that that's an important thing that you can't forget. <laughs> it's funny. Um, it's funny that you mentioned that too. Cause yeah, Instagram's so, uh, ridiculous now like if a camera came out with a aspect ratio of instagram i would probably buy that that's how like right. important that is to take into consideration when you're posting images on instagram yeah i mean there's a lot of guesswork involved when you're when you're doing uh when you're setting up your compositions which can be frustrating i mean it is a skill you eventually develop but i'm with you on that one if there was an a camera that was just a 5.4 mm-hmm. or if instagram changed that ratio I would be like the happiest guy in the world and you'd be second. <laughs> yeah, for sure. It, yeah. The the thing with wildlife photography and having a camera that takes 20 frames per second, I find lots of the time um, when I'm shooting these animals, sometimes I'll slightly miss a shot and I'll go over to one side. But then since I have so many frames of a shot, um, I can literally merge those two images in Photoshop and make use of that. So I can bring in like, Maybe there's some trees on the other side I needed for better framing and merge oh, the two wow. and then crop based on that. Wow. Yeah, no, that's cool. How much time would you say you spend in post-processing and do you put more value on the initial shot or the edit? Um, the initial shot, definitely. Like if you don't get a good shot, then it's not going to turn into a good edit. Um, and And really like I've gotten lucky with some photos I'll spend like three hours on and take it from a, a piece of garbage basically and try to work it into something that's postable. Right. Um, but yeah, if I get a, an initial shot that's just like, I look at the back of the camera and I'm like, yeah, that's a phenomenal shot. It'll take me like five minutes to edit a photo like that. And uh, Right. You just might slap a preset on it or something and you're done. I guess if you set it, I mean, if you take the initial shot and you make it technically sound, I mean, you're really making your post-processing life easier. Absolutely. And, and on, on that, uh, I don't use any presets actually. That's why most of my photos kind of look just random. Um, oh yeah. I always take them through just random editing processes. I, I mean, I have a workflow, but it's, it's not just something that I'll click on and then make a couple of adjustments. It's something that I, I take them through the whole gamut of this whole workflow that I have set up Yeah, right? from start to finish. I like that. Yeah. I'm kind of a hybrid. I'll, um, Sometimes if it's a photo that I feel it's like something I've never taken before, um, I'll do that. I'll run through it start to finish, no preset. Uh, A lot of the time I find myself, you know, I'll kind of just hover presets on the navigation panel in Lightroom and I'll kind of just see what it looks like. And then if I kind of like the tones of it or if it's close, I'll work from there sort of like as a checkpoint, but no, I think that's really cool that, uh, you start from scratch every time. I haven't heard anybody who does that. So it's probably not very time conscious to, to be honest. And presets do have some amazing looks. I just, 
I, I, I try to make images look as different as possible. Like there's a lot of uh, similarities between tones and stuff on Instagram and lots of those tones oftentimes do look better um, when I just use a preset too, but it's just kind of my style to, to try something different each time. Yeah. And I mean, I like your style. It's kind of a really good blend of like, you're not doing much to it. You know what I mean? Um, I think it's really easy to go overboard with photos when you see these like crazy Fox pictures where they just look like they're from a different planet. Yeah. Like that's kind of my motto too, with a shot, like I'll try to make it look natural, but surreal at the same time. So, right. so I'm doing minor edits and I don't usually like to change the tones of the animal in the photo. I like to change the surrounding of of that uh of that shot so like the trees in the background or something like right that. so like the green hues like you wouldn't change the oranges on the fox yeah exactly yeah because you kind of want to pay homage to that animal in that moment in you know their true colors literally yeah you don't want to make them look funky like they're it's something that doesn't actually exist right you want to make them look like uh actual animals and maybe the environments to be a little bit different just so you get that pop in the image yeah. And I mean, you have a really nice blend of, cause there's really two, in my opinion, there's two ways to go with a wildlife image. It's the up close portrait, you know, which we all love. Um, and then there's that one that really highlights the environment that they live in. Do you have a preference or is it just whatever you're feeling? Honestly, uh, when you highlight the environment with the animal, that's probably my favorite, but the, the least amount of my photos are actually that I find portraits is super easy to take, right? When you're kind of in the heat of the moment, you see an animal real quick. Um, a portrait shot's always so simple. You just zoom in, um, get them to look straight at the lens and then take a couple snaps and you have like a good shot and you don't have to think much about it either. But, uh, when you're trying to, yeah, I mean, it, it already says so much on its own. Yeah. Um, and, and to me, I really think, you know, I was going to ask you, the difference in your opinion between, you know, you're scrolling through your feed, the difference between a photo that's just like good and one that is great. Is there any criteria for you that makes a photo great compared to just simply good? Absolutely. I mean, we talked about it earlier and that's kind of, I always like to have the animal that's uh, directly looking into the lens. So that's kind of my style. And that for me, um, makes the image very compelling because it draws you into that into that scene as you're looking through the uh, the lens into the animal's eyes. So I find that always something that draws you into that photo. And same with landscapes too. I, I like uh, to make sure that there's some sort of compositional element, either leading lines that lead you into a payoff in the background, or like uh, certain compositional rules that draw the eye in through layers. Just to have, it's almost like I kind of describe it as like a gimmick in your photo. I always like to have some sort of gimmick that you can clearly see there's a photo that had these compositional techniques that that make it up into something that I find suitable. And if they don't have these elements in them, I, I don't find them particularly useful or I wouldn't post them. And I think I have like a lot of good shots that just aren't my type of thing. So I I just literally just leave them be. They're still on the hard drive, even though... I'm sure they just get just as much attention as anything else that I have. Right. Well, I mean, I think that's the whole point. I think that you should be posting and sharing for yourself first. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, why would you post something that you're not happy with? That, you know, that is one of those 
attitudes that is the wrong attitude if you're posting stuff because you think other people will like it yeah you should have that in mind but your first checkpoint should always be do i like this for sure and it's a slippery slope with social media as you know too right like if you get uh if you post something that you're not particularly fond of but it blows up on your page you're like well right i i should post more of that and it's kind of a deterrent sometimes when you post something that you really like that really gets no views or likes or whatever too but yeah it really goes both ways sometimes huh mm-hmm. yeah that happened to me with a couple uh with a couple photos and you just you sometimes you're just left scratching your head but i mean you got to roll with it and then you got to decide um if if it's something you dislike but it's getting attention if that's if that's something you want to post more of i think it's tough i've refrained from it too because i don't want to you know break my own rule of approving my own photos before anyone else does yeah, for sure. And I'll still post stuff, um, just like you, I'm sure. But uh, like I said, um, urban photography is probably my favorite. And it's literally the the least viewed on my page. And it definitely does the worst. Um, but it's my favorite type of photography to take. So I'll go out of my way to try and get some really good urban landscapes when, when I'm in areas that uh, are suitable for it. And I'll still post those shots, of course. I, I, I respect the fact that you can you just go with it. You post whatever you want. Um, and that a lot of people, I think back themselves into a corner, they'll have a photo they love and then they don't post it because it doesn't fit their niche. Yeah. I think that's, uh, what a lot of people tend to do. Right. And some people even go so far as to make a whole other profile, um, and just post that content on it just because they don't want it to mess around with kind of the following that they've already developed that like wildlife or like landscapes or something like that too. So, right. Yeah. It, it's I an internal struggle to try and find that balance with um, stuff that you're happy with. And that still adheres to kind of how your social media um, was developed in the first place. I think that some forms of photography complement each other. For example, wildlife and landscape go together. Absolutely. Um, obviously something like urban and newborn photography wouldn't make a lot of sense. Um, so like I'll do that. I'll have a, I have a portrait account for my portraits because I just don't think it cohesively blends with my audience. And I personally don't like the way it looks. So, I mean, I'm making the the decision to have a separate portrait page just solely based on the fact that I don't like it. Not because other people won't. I know other people won't like it, but I know that I won't like the way it is. And I get to sort of um, express myself differently on my portrait page than I do on my main page. Yeah, that absolutely makes sense uh, in terms of separating the two and uh, finding your own niche as long as it's something you're not pigeonholed into doing, right? I find it interesting that urban photography is your is your favorite genre. Of photography based on where you are that's kind of strange because you're so far in northern ontario how did you come to like urban photography so much maybe it's honestly just because i don't get to do it as much as wildlife or, or landscapes and that's kind of where my interest um lies based on just me not having that opportunity as i think that's the same with people who shoot in a city primarily they don't have the opportunity to do wildlife or landscape photography and they always seem to be seeking that type of venue Right. That would make sense. I mean, um, people who are pigeonholed in Toronto may love to come up where you are and see a moose out on the lake at five in the morning 
<laughs> exactly. Whereas that's kind of something I've seen my whole life too, right? Like I, I walk, I set foot outside my cabin and go down the lake a little bit and there's a moose in a bay that I always see and he's chilling, eating some uh, seaweeds and stuff. And yeah. that's so crazy to me. That's just a natural, you know, regular run of the day, run of the mill thing for you. And to me, that would just floor me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it's the same too. So when I'm in a city and I see all these like bright street lights and and huge buildings and towers and stuff, it's kind of uh, awe-inspiring, I guess, in terms of wanting to capture the moment that I'm not typically ac- accustomed to. No, that makes total sense. And uh, there's I, there's a point I want to touch on here, and it's it's more of a debate. I hear this a lot, and it seems to be 50-50 down the middle as a wildlife guy. Um, camo necessity or not? Like I, like I said before, uh, I typically run into animals out of sheer luck. I think, um, camo and, um, finding hides and stuff adheres to a certain type of, um, wildlife photography for really dedicated individuals who have a lot of time to spend out in wildlife and try to get that epic shot of a wolverine that's not maybe, maybe not so common in the area and you have to dedicate all this time spending uh, camouflage and making sure of wind directions are appropriate and not having overpowering scents and stuff like that. So uh, the animal, you can get that close-up shot of them in their environment. But uh, I don't think it's necessarily a necessity if you're just finding them uh, in lucky situations, right? Right. So, I mean, you don't wear it at all. Uh, (laughs) I have some camo things, but... uh, so, but you don't have camo for the sheer purpose of shooting wildlife. No, absolutely not. Uh, I just kind of wear my regular run-of-the-mill clothes, and um, I was thinking of investing in a hide and uh, trying to get myself a little bit uh, closer to certain uh, animals without um, disturbing them in their environment too. And I think that's kind of what hides and camouflage clothing and stuff like that would be suitable for. Right. I mean, I like your whole. Um demeanor it's kind of you know you just kind of go with the flow and and things pop up for you and if they do you you make the most of it you sound very opportunistic which i enjoy yeah absolutely like uh the way i take all my photos are opportunistic it's based on the weather that you have it's based on um what's in front of you uh where you are at a certain time too and uh i work a full-time job too so i can't really I don't have that time to dedicate to just be out in the wild or in the wilderness all the time. Like since I live close, I can definitely go after work or something, but I don't have like a week to spend outside and in a hide and in camouflage and get that, get that shot. Right. I just kind of cruise on the weekends and hope for the best. Right. I feel that. What's one animal you haven't photographed that you'd like to capture? Uh, There are a bunch. So (laughs) probably, I've seen the a lynx several times around my area, like, and I've always had my camera with me, and I've just flopped on those opportunities. So, like, either the autofocus wasn't working, or um, he ran away before I could get the correct opportunity. Um, so, lynx is one of them, but probably my the animal I want most is just a common skunk. I don't know what it is about, about the skunk, but they're just kind of adorable. And I've seen a skunk in the wild a couple of times, and the they honestly don't worry about a thing. They just like, if you're 10 feet away from them, they don't care because they know you won't, like you have to be absolutely crazy to approach them. So are they just, not common where you are? 
Yeah, I mean, I see them every so often, and there's a, a family of skunks out of my cabin right now too, and um, I haven't I haven't gotten them. They're mostly nocturnal too, so they're a little bit harder right. to, to find in that way. But yeah, they're just super chill. They're pretty cute animals, and uh, <laughs> I, I just want a picture of a skunk. Yeah, I've been trying to get one for years. Dude, that's so funny. It just like you have all these crazy animals on your page, and I drop that question. You go skunk. <laughs> <laughs> i know it's an odd thing but yeah they're just no it's amazing it's amazing the, the um, thing i the thing i like about the skunk the most is i think just their general demeanor um i was taking photos of a uh, barn once and i had my tripod set up in front of the house and i was snapping all these shots and it was like perfect timing sunset and everything and out of the corner of my eye the skunk comes by and he literally just walked directly towards me without even looking at me and just scooted on past right where my camera and tripod were set up. And I literally had to get out of his way because yeah, he was they just beeline not, at it. They do not care about anything. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> it almost amazes me how people get sprayed. Like you'd have to, re- I think you, I think the only way you get sprayed is you really surprise them. For sure. Since they're nocturnal, I think like a lot of people have them around here under their porches. So if you're yeah. going out to get something at night and you don't see it, and then that's kind of, you would spook the skunk and they'd give you a blast from there. Oh man, that's my nightmare. <laughs> imagine, <laughs> you're going to tell me that you got the shot, but that you smell like shit. Imagine going to work smelling <laughs> like a skunk and <laughs> trying to get that smell out of your system. Oh man, that's brutal. That's brutal. <laughs> um, before we wrap up, I want you to... Um, talk to me about the term you coined which i thought was just the coolest we're gonna say you coined it because i've never heard it anywhere else and that was photo harvesting can you explain what that is for people listening yeah photo harvesting so i kind of came up with that term as just a joke but uh i think it's pretty (laughs) i think it's pretty common with a lot of photographers so um i only have certain amounts of vacation to go on these trips so what what my goal is i'll plan all these trips out i'll print off a map i'll set all the destinations of where i want to go um i'll write exactly what type of shots i want so it reminds me either it be sunset or sunrise or astrophotography or i want to go to a certain area for um, wildlife and based on the weather when i'm there i'll either choose the one spot or go to something else where i can get shots and it's all kind of geared towards harvesting photos so getting as much shots from the area that you're at that you can use to post down the road so like for instance i've since covid's happening right now um i haven't been able to travel hardly at all but i've still been posting shots from like san francisco and utah and montana and stuff like that because i've just harvested all these photos that have i've taken over my trips and just have stuff to post like way down the road right do you feel like i i struggle with i do the same thing right like i'll go on a trip and i'll just have so much catalog um and I always post my favorites first. Yeah. And then I'll go back and search and I kind of feel like it's a B photo, like a second string photo. <laughs> do you ever feel that way or do you feel just like that they all are up to par with each other? Oh, absolutely. I'll uh, I'll definitely post a few of my favorites first. Sometimes I'll save a photo depending on where I think it would fit in the feed too. So like if I have a really good wildlife shot, but I've posted a bunch of fox shots and it's a fox shot, then I'll save that one for like six months down the road or something like that. Even if it's like uh, an A-grade photo that I that I feel is the best. But uh, yeah, right. th- there's a difference too. So like lots of the time you can take a B-grade photo and 
give it a huge scrub in post-processing and make it up to par as an A-grade photo. So that's what I feel like I'm doing a lot of the time is taking these older shots and just really working them over until there's something unique and I'm comfortable with posting. Yeah, I love that. Going back into the archives with a year or two years worth of um, post-processing knowledge, going back and just working your magic and then suddenly it's it's up to your standards. Yeah, and there's there's so much cool technology out there, and I try not to use it as much as uh, as much as I can. But uh, there's certain things like I showed uh, one of my buddies Luminar Four. I don't know if you're familiar with that. That's the second time I've heard this from a guest on the podcast, and I've been told by people who heard that episode that it's definitely worth the purchase. It's such a good program for certain things. Like, uh, for instance, you can go back in your archives and say you were taking shots on a really gloomy day and you really like the composition, but the uh, sky wasn't the greatest. So you can take a photo, one of your photos of a sky shot and just kind of plunk it right in there. And then it kind of matches the color tones and you do a couple adjustments to make it really pop. So that's a technology that basically just made it really easy for, to, for photographers to kind of utilize when the Photoshop way um, a couple of years ago was like really good, but it's really difficult for people to do too. Like getting a sky right. replacement in Photoshop takes a lot of work, especially if there's like lots of foliage in it. Yeah. I think it utilizes AI if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. I think that's kind of a gimmick term too, but yeah, they say that it utilizes AI and it does a good job of finding like if you have a certain tree line of placing that sky into that shot, um, adhering to, the the trees that are in the the shot and stuff like that too so right on yeah i know like it's, uh, it's funny our last guest brooke was saying you know she will go out for a week and just try to shoot a year's worth of content um the way i i, I think i like that strategy in the past i would always um you know kind of go out and shoot a photo at a time and i don't think that's the way to do it yeah, I think you really have to be conscious with your time and um, the effort that you're putting into certain trips too, because you're not likely to return to certain areas for several years, right? Like say you go to Brazil or something like that, you're probably not headed back to Brazil anytime soon. So if you want content from Brazil, then you're going to have to be um, aware of taking multiple shots and trying to get um, as much photo harvesting, I guess, as uh, you possibly can. Yeah, no, I totally feel that. And the more and more that I think about it, uh, you know, just trying to get as much as you can all in one go is the way to do it. And then just spend all that time post-processing and getting your images uh, congruent with one another and tone matching if, if you're into that. Um, For sure. I think it is much more efficient. Yeah, absolutely. Like, um, I, I think I've uh, met a raccoon. I think it was about three years ago now and i had the opportunity to take shots of a raccoon and i literally sat there taking shots of him because he was just super chill for probably like four hours and i knew i'd have all these photos of a raccoon using multiple lenses using different angles and just trying to get as much shots of this critter as i possibly can so that i'd have facing them out and i still have stuff to post to today and it was three years ago that i took shots of that that little guy too <laughs> That's amazing, man. But anyways, I think we're coming up on our time frame and uh, our internet connection's been, uh, people won't know, but it's been uh, a bit risky. So bad. Um, <laughs> two Canadian, how many Canadians does it take to figure out an internet connection? <laughs> um, <laughs> we definitely dropped a few A's. Uh, thanks for coming on the show, Alan. Um, crazy fan of your work. You are mad talented, definitely an inspiration. And I wanted to shout out uh, Jamie, who will be listening to this, who hooked this up. 
Um, that was really cool of him. And uh, I think he'll be excited to hear this among other people. And for other people listening, if you have, uh, you know, a guest in mind or, or something like that, um, definitely recommend it to me and, and the potential guests because look at what can come of it. Because, uh, Alan, you've been an amazing uh, photographer mindset guest, and I'm thankful you came on. Well, thanks, Seth. And I definitely have to return the favor, too. I, I think you're an amazing uh, podcaster and you have the uh, mentality and voice for it. And I think you're, you've been uh, quite enjoyable to, to do the podcast with. I'm looking forward to listening to a lot more. Thanks, man. It's just my radio voice. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> now, man, take care. You too, Seth. Thanks again, guys, for listening to another episode of the Photographer Mindset Podcast. Hope you enjoyed this episode I had with Alan. Uh, make sure to check out his work. And I swear we're not just doing wildlife photographers. It's just the way it's happened. This podcast is open to all creators who are just truly inspirational. There's no limits. So until next time, go get shooting, go get editing, and stay focused. See you next time.